All right, hello everyone. So I found this piece of paper that I had written down a message on. Uh, it's pretty old, but it's one of my favorite uh, topics and something I love to preach about. So I just felt led to record it and then to share it. Um, this is about the new creation in Christ. It talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and also the gift of praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. And so I'm gonna go into this uh, topic and kind of read through the word and just kind of let it flow. So uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me or you can just listen. Uh, it starts in Matthew chapter three, and then um, we can go ahead and start. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan confessing their sins. So we see John is definitely uh, set apart. He's different than everyone else. Not only that, but he's living different than everyone else. He has a different lifestyle, the way he looks at life, the way he sees uh even, I guess, the way he sees himself and the purpose and how, uh, you know, the, the call of God and the purpose of God is so in, the, in front of him. And we see that in the way that he talks and also in the way that he dresses and eats, that it's not a legalistic thing. It's more of a consecration thing. It's more of a being driven by uh, the spirit of God in his life and not being driven by the flesh. Could you imagine... John's showing up, he's wearing an Armani suit, driving the Lamborghini, and he gets out and he's got, you know, top, this doesn't mean that you can't be spiritual and eat steak and, and uh, enjoy the finer things in life. This is just saying there's a difference to what the spirit looks like in somebody's life and what the flesh looks like. And, you know, the flesh can definitely be flashy. It can be something that, uh, you know, looks looks prim and proper, but underneath the surface, it's all corrupt. John was the opposite. John was somebody to look at and go, hey, this guy doesn't look normal. He doesn't look the same. But underneath the surface, he had something uh, heavenly driving his life. And I see this uh, thing about his purpose in baptizing people uh, in repentance and how the baptism of John was the baptism of repentance. And then he says, but there's one coming after me who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so we'll start here at verse six in, in uh, or let's go to five. Then Jerusalem, all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him, to John, and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. So he, they were coming, confessing the things in their life that they considered and deemed wrong before God. They had a standard that they had to see, right? You can't know you're sinning without a conscience and knowing something's right and then doing something wrong. So you knew that these people had understanding of the law of God. They had an understanding of who he was. And so that conflict of them doing something that was apart from the standard that they were taught became sin to them. And the sin in their life, they now felt the need to confess it because they were, uh, sin separates us from God. So here's John, a man of God, who's close to God, who, who is probably carrying something on his life, like 
the presence or the power of the spirit on his life and it's noticeable and people are drawn to him and now they're confessing to him their sin and he is baptizing them in water for saying God forgives God is a he's a forgiving God and so now uh but when the Pharisee the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism uh said he said to them Hold on, let me go back here. It says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers. So here we see again, here, here's John the Baptist in a different realm, in a different mindset, a different vein, that as he's baptizing people, he notices a difference, right? Here's people who are in a broken place, wanting repentance, and then here show up, right, uh, the the guys who think they're cool, the guys who think they really got it together, and the guys who think they know it all about Jesus, about God, or whatever. You know, we can we can kind of compare that today. Well, if what he does is he goes straight to the heart, straight to the, the reality of where they are, and he calls them a brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, meaning don't just come. And don't just play the game. Don't, be, don't do the religious thing. Don't just pretend. Come and truly repent. Truly give your life to Jesus. Confessing your sins. Opening up your life to him. Admitting you're wrong in the areas in your life that you're wrong. And then turning to God saying, God, help me and be who you want to be in my life. And what that will do is bear fruit that shows that you've truly repented. So... Repentance bears fruit in our life. And repentance isn't just a one-time thing. We're not just coming to God and saying, God, please forgive me. Okay, I'm done. And then we go back out and we do the same thing or we, or we ignore God or we, or we just kind of like, we don't truly give our life to him or truly turn, right? 180 degrees away from the thing that we're saying, forgive me for and begin to pursue the opposite of what that thing is. So if you're lying, then you stop lying. If you have a hard time being faithful and committed, then you stop and be faithful and committed. So repentance actually leads you to do the opposite action. Action. If you're stealing, then you, when you repent of stealing, you don't steal anymore. So there's a fruit there of, of bearing um, good fruit by your heart saying, God, I need you in my life. Let's move on. It says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to him, right? He called them brood of vipers. And then he said, uh, bear fruit worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. So he didn't want them using their clout, right? To, to be like, oh, we, we're, we are, we're special. We're important. Look at who we are. He said, God can raise up children from, st- from these stones, he, he can raise up people who are true and committed and real and genuine from nothing. God doesn't need us. He, he, he doesn't need us. He desires us. He wants us. But it's not like, oh, God, you need me, right? I have an attitude of, God, you ain't got nobody else. You need me. I, I'm special. I know it all. I got all this together. No, God can do without us and use somebody else if he so chooses. But if we make ourselves available and we are humble and we're broken, God will use us. God will come in and he will use our life. 
Uh, verse 10, and even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. So you see John's um, humility, his view of himself. He sees Jesus and he is humble. He is saying, I'm not worthy. This, this man is better than I. This man, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And he's saying that he's going to come. He's going to baptize you with the thing that's going to help you and, and be the, the comfort and be the very thing that you need, the very person of God in your life so that you can live for God, unto God, be united to him. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The Holy Spirit's a person. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is the presence, the essence, the, the thoughts, the, the, the mind of God. And when you give your life to Jesus and you repent and you invite him into your life, and then you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, that means you're immersed. He now comes to be in your life, to, be, to connect himself with you. The Bible even talks about how you can be sealed by the Spirit of God uh, when you give your life to Him, that you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. So um, the fire represents the purity, the, the zeal, the passion, the fervor for God, that burning that says, God, I hunger, I thirst, I need you. It's, a, it's, it's an attitude towards God of needing Him, but it's also an active force of purifying of, of it coming in and burning out the things that are hidden, burning out the areas in our life that are not pleasing to God. The holiness, the purity of who he is, the presence of, of who he is comes into our life and that fire is the desire for us to come to him and say, God, come, seek, show me who I am. Show me not only the good things about my life, but show me the areas that are broken that I need to, to, to repent of, to change, to come to you so that you can be the strength in my life and the weaknesses don't control my life and I can be victorious in what you have for me to do. He says, I indeed baptize you with water and repentance, but there's one coming after me and mightier than I whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winning, winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So you see this fire of the Holy Spirit also represents judgment at the end of the days where there will be people who, when the fire comes, that judgment comes, they're gonna be burned up because they're not wheat, they're chaff. They're really not connected. They're really not serving God. They're really not... Um, fully committed to him in their lives. You know, today you, you have so much of Christianity really trying to draw people into this place of, you know, hey, God loves you and, and God does love you and God gave it all for you and God wants to use you and God wants, wants you to be surrendered to him. But that doesn't come with a half-hearted commitment. It doesn't come with a, a little bit of a yes and then a whole lot of no in other areas of your life. It comes into your finances. It comes into your thought life. It comes into your actions. It comes into your, your waking, your sleeping, 
there is a full immersion of who God is and what he has for you as you hunger and thirst for who he is and for his kingdom to be manifest on this earth in your life. It's not a half-hearted, I just go to a church on a Sunday or I go to a church on a Wednesday night. I talk about the Bible, I hear the Bible, but it never gets on the inside of me and shifts and changes me in my life. It doesn't, it, it needs to change the way we talk. It needs to change the way we see. It changes the way we hear. It changes the way we act. It changes the way we work. It changes the way uh, we see life. And God wants for you and I to desire to do life the way that he designed it. It doesn't just come automatically. If that's the case, every Christian would be 100% the best Christian ever. Now they can be that in faith, The work is complete in Christ. They're that in faith, but they have to now join with the person of the Holy Spirit and walk that out with him in intimacy, in relationship. So as God begins to walk us through life and and speak to us dreams, speak to us desires, speak to us things that he wants to do, we have to invite him into that place to say, okay, hey, it's not what I want to do. It's God, what do you want to do? And what does that look like? And what do I need to believe you for? How can my faith and my obedience please you and bless you? Not to earn salvation, because we don't have to earn salvation. Jesus did that on the cross. He died for your sin, and he paid the price so that you can walk with him and walk with the Holy Spirit. Not only that, but be possessed by the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean he overpowers you over your will, but he will possess you if you yield to him and and allow him to use your mouth, use your eyes, use your ears, use your life for his glory. He's not possessing you through force. He's possessing you through surrender, through a surrendered life to him. Um, Let's go to John 3 and we'll read uh, verses one through six. Hold on a second here. Go to John. There we go. Sorry. Pages are flipping here. John three and verse six. Come on, John, where are you at? All right. It says in verse six, that which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of spirit is spirit. So that which is the flesh births in our life is flesh. It's of the flesh. It looks like the flesh. It smells like the flesh. And all it can produce is corruption, decay, and death in our life. Um, That which is born of the spirit is spirit. That which is of the spirit produces life, produces power, produces healing, freedom, liberty. Wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So the Spirit of God comes to birth that which is of spirit in our life. So you can see the evidence of a relationship with the Holy Spirit, not just by miracle signs and wonders, because those can be deceiving, but by an inward character, by an inward uh, view of yourself and view of others that is godly, that is pure, that is healthy, by not allowing the flesh to control your life. The Spirit now has dominion by your surrender to it and by your working with him to know how to 
um, cast down evil thoughts, to cast down bad attitudes, imaginations that are evil, um, thoughts about people that are wrong. He begins to strengthen us and show us how to discipline ourselves to live for him. Now, uh, this born again thing, right? This, this, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So everyone who is born of the Spirit. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So we see this invisible thing, right? You can see the effects of the wind by by what it moves. On a windy day, you look out, you see the tree going around, you hear the noise as it hits your house. It can even, a little speck or something hit, can blow on you. Right? You see, it moves things. The Spirit of God is that way. It, it's, it's maybe not visible to the natural eye, right? In the sense of like, until it moves. That's the cool thing about the move of the Holy Spirit, is that the evidence of who God is in the reality is showing up in people's lives. It's showing up in how it moves and destroys wickedness, how it leads people to a place of repentance, how it brings people healing and freedom and victory in their lives. The move of God is visible to the natural eye by what it affects in the natural. That doesn't mean that we live according to our natural sight, uh, but but we can see, just like we see the wind blowing the trees, and blowing the leaves, the move of God's spirit. And if we don't see it, then that's where, you know, maybe we're not, there's something that's not right. There should be an evidence of God's moving. And that's where we need to get hungry and say, God, why aren't you moving? What what are you doing? I wanna see you move in my life. Not only in my heart and on the inside of me, but also around me and in the people around me. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. And Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who has came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up, but that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So he's talking about his crucifixion. He's talking about him ha- him being raised up on the cross and dying for, for mankind's sin. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So we see the born again thing is he who is born again is not only born from the water being that, you know, we all were formed in the womb and we we were in an embryonic sac of, of water, right? Embryonic fluid, there's, it's water and you breathe water. You were born out of water. And then now you have to be born of the spirit which is being born again, which is a spiritual birth because everyone is born into into the carnal nature, into this world, into this fallen system and has sin. 
uh, little kids can lie. Little kids can be rebellious. Little kids can, I mean, if you've ever been around some bad kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Just misbehaving, no respect. They're, they're, uh, they just cause problems and they're loud, obnoxious, and their parents are like, they're basically run their parents. Well, that's not how God wants us to behave, but yet we're born into that nature just because of uh, mankind's fall in the Garden of Eden, right? Man's disobedience, which disconnected him from God. And now the nature of man is sinful to, to, to not meet God's standard and measure. So we have to come to the Lord and by faith be born again so that God can now open our eyes, open our understanding, open our lives to him in the spirit so that we can begin to see how the wind blows, how the spirit moves, how the spirit, what he wants to do, what he's speaking. Um, he who has ears, let him hear, right? Well, what is he saying? He who has ears, let him hear the wind blow? No, he's saying he who has ears, let him hear by the spirit what God is doing, what he's saying how he's moving. Let him who has ears hear what God is speaking to the heart of man in this hour, in your life, about your family, about your children, about your church. God is wanting us to have ears that hear his voice. And when we're spiritually dead or dull, we cannot hear those things. We cannot know what God is saying or speaking. So we must be born again. There's the water birth and then there's the spiritual birth. One's physical and one's spiritual. And the spiritual is unseen in the natural until it is seen by the fruit it produces in our life through repentance, right? Through uh, submission to God and his law and who he is. The law doesn't redeem us, but it sets a standard for us of how to live. Because we get saved doesn't mean we throw the law out and live however we want. No, we actually now look at the law, respect the law, and want to fulfill the law in our heart. We don't want to steal. We don't want to uh, uh, murder, right? We don't want to lie. We don't want to bear false witness. Uh, we don't want to uh, have a, a adulterous affairs if we're married. And if we're not married, we don't want to fornicate and go and sleep around and just, just be led by that carnal desire. Now we want to say, God, I love you. You're in my life. Holy Spirit, crucify and purify those things in my life. So now I want to do what's right, which is according to your law and standard, not my own. And there's many people out there that have their own Ten Commandments. They have their own version of the law in their life, and that's what they live by. And some of it has, there's a little bit of fruit, and then some of it, there's no fruit. And those who actually want and desire God's standard in their life and seek after it, not to work for it, to, to be saved, but to do it because it's pleasing to God when we obey his word, it actually commands the blessing in our life. It actually produces great fruit and great things in our life when we're obedient to who he is, that it actually we actually bear fruit in our lives because of our obedience to God's standards, his law, right? We're not trying to be saved and righteous according to the law, but we wanna obey the law because it's the right thing to do. And there's so much, so much uh, 
I don't know. It's almost, it's weird because it gets so convoluted where it's like, okay, well, oh, you're just in works now. Oh, you're just being religious or, oh, you think that because, you know, you don't have to live by the law. Yeah, you're right. I don't have to. God will still love me. The blood of Jesus, if, if I confess, then he'll save me. But that doesn't give me liberty now to just go out and ignore God's law. It, because if that's the case, then why did I give my life? Why did I say I want you to come into my life and be the Lord of my life? We all come to God in some way of repenting and asking him to come in and heal and forgive and help us because we're broken. So without a standard in our life, um, you know, you give your life to Jesus and without that standard of uh, who he is, what he represents, what's in the Bible, then we don't have anything to gauge our life by. We don't have any metrics to measure how we're doing, how we're living for God. What are you going to do? Just create your own metrics, create your own measure. Okay, well, that's that's actually what the Pharisees and Sadducees did. And they got into trouble because they begin to create rules and regulations to fit their um, their comfort level and also to make them look good when in reality they were actually sinning. They were living a double standard. They weren't living for God. They were living for themselves. So the dynamic of having a standard that God puts in our life is a necessity uh, to being born again and being a Christian. You have to have a measure that you measure your life by uh, so that when you are tempted to lie, uh, the Spirit says, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, we don't lie, right? Uh, okay, yeah, you're right. I need to tell the truth. Hey, uh, when you're tempted to steal, when you're tempted to try to fudge stuff and make it work out better for your uh, benefit and it's, and it's shady, that is not God. That's actually your flesh. See, when you don't have a standard, you, you'll just kind of oh, ignore that. And then what happens is it shows up in other areas of our life and it shows up down the road in bigger ways in our life because God's not mocked. He says, whatever a man sows, he reaps. And there, there are times where we can sow and, and we can recognize and say, God, oh my gosh, I haven't sowed good seed. I've been sowing the wrong thing. And we can repent and God wipes the slate clean. He actually will erase the damage we've done, restore to us, like what the, really the, the enemy comes in and tries to deceive us and, and, and get us to hurt ourselves through deception and then bear fruit that's not godly, bear fruit that's, that's bad and that can hurt us. But if we come to the Lord and, and allow the Holy Spirit to have the work in our life, then he'll redeem it. He'll bless you. He'll, he'll take the situation and turn it around for your good. That's how awesome God is. And that's why, for me, I love the Lord because the Lord has only ever been good to me. God has not, people have been mean to me. People have been rude and gross and, you know, uh, unloyal, unfaithful, you know, backbiters, gossipers, said things about me that God would never say, but yet they they are godly. They're, you know, Christians sometimes are the worst because we can get into that pharisaical place where we build this structure for our benefit, but yet it, it's not really, uh, there's no, when you get to the core of what it is, there's no life, there's no fire, there's no evidence of the power of God working because of the facade. And I don't want that in my life because I want the real thing. I need the real thing. I'm hungry and thirsty for the real thing. And the real thing costs something in our life, right? It costs us our flesh. It costs us saying no 
to the things of the world. It costs us to deny ourselves. Deny yourself, take up your cross. That's the price you pay. Jesus showed us how to do it right on the cross. And now we have to do it the same way he did because of love and surrender. Not to earn salvation, but to to actually be used and to 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 move forward in what he has for us. We have to know how to say no to the world, the flesh and the devil. You can't pretend God doesn't care about those things in your life. He does. So uh, go back to 2 Corinthians 5. Kind of got off a tangent there, but uh, you know what? Hopefully, I, I believe it was a good one. <laughs> um, it says he was talking about being well-pleasing. We are confident, yes, well-pleased to be... Uh, we are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. We want to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So here it is. Like, I would love to see, like, you know, a church, uh, one of these mega churches, you know. And again, and I don't want to be, like, judgmental. It's hard sometimes, but to not be because you can see it so evident. But let let one of those places just go through the judgment seat of Christ for, like, a month. Just, just four Sundays talk about this very thing. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Like just that verse right there, 2 Corinthians 5, 10. Just, just, pick, just live in that verse and what does that mean? And have one of these places just expound on it and see if it doesn't just completely wreck and shift and really just get in there and poke at people in the areas of their life. Because the reality of it is a lot of us are not living, you know, to the full potential of what God has for us. You know, and our best life now is not money, fame, and fortune. Our best life now is Holy Ghost, righteousness, joy, and peace, and the fire of God, and people getting saved, and people being baptized in the Holy Spirit, people uh, hungry for God, people wanting to be with other Christians to seek out the Lord, to have fellowship, to, to break bread, to experience God's presence. These are the things that are our best life now. It's not, hey, uh, I got you know a lot of money in a bank account and I'm doing real well. I got a real nice car. I got a real, uh, you know, whatever, uh, hot wife or hot husband. And we look like we got it all together. But the reality of it is, is that there are broken, busted people all around you and you have no idea, no passion, no desire to see them healed and whole and saved and delivered. That's, that's the deception of the flesh. The flesh is best life now, but the reality of the Holy Ghost best life now is one that involves the gifts of the Holy Spirit working and being evident in your life. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known for, to God, and I also trust are well known in your conscience, and you, you know who we are inside your, your own heart and mind. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. So that's what we're talking about, right? the best life now of the appearance of what you look like because you got shiny things, nice things, big house, you know, you look like you got it together because you got money. But the reality of the kingdom isn't made up of such things. 
It's not meat and drink. It's not the the carnal nature. It's the Holy Spirit. It's 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 that wind blowing around you and through you and in people's lives. And the evidence of the work of that is people knowing who Jesus is and then allowing the very same thing that's in you to be in them and discipleship and people becoming like Jesus and pursuing God, not pursuing the world, not pursuing another time to go out and hang out and drink with everybody and get a little drunk because Jesus, he's not a judge, right? No, Jesus wants you to, how about hang out, go out and see people set free and delivered? Why can't that be the thing we drink and get full of and be inebriated on? Because I guarantee you, in my own experience, you can drink of that in your life and it is exhilarating. It is so incredible to be used by God, right? So what do we wanna do, be drunk? Like the Bible says, don't be drunk, right? Don't be intoxicated with the world. Or do we wanna be intoxicated by God? And there is a fight. There's a fight inward and a demonic fight to keep you from being inebriated on the things of God in the spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ, the love of Christ, for our love for Christ and his love for us compels, it pulls us like a, like a, like a, um, like a magnet, right? Magnets, when they're not opposite, they actually attract, they come together. And like they're compelled together, they're pulling together. For the love of Christ is pulling us, right? Because we judge thus that if one died, he died for everyone. And if he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Well, then again, well, if we if he died for us so that we would live for him, well, what does that look like? What are the standards? What is what is the measure? What's the what is the the mission statement of what it looks like to live for Jesus? And how and, and, and are we really involved in each other's lives to to see? Well, not to judge and be, you know, detectives, but to, to hold one another accountable to that standard that God has set for us to live for him. So that we can have everything that God has promised us. So that we can walk in the fullness of what he has for us. In the spirit, not in the world. In the Holy Spirit. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So we're no longer living by the standard of the old nature, right? Which really is no standard. But now we're living by the standard that God has set for us. That we're a new creation. That we actually have the desires and the makeup and the seed of God's character, of who he is living with us, the Holy Spirit. And he has reconciled us to himself through Christ. And has given us the ministry to do the same thing to, for other people, to, to see them reconciled to God. So now we are equipped and empowered by God to live godly, to, to do the right thing, to not, to not have those wicked thoughts and desires about other people, to hate, to uh, covet, to, to be jealous or envy, that those things are now 
crucified with Christ in our life, that we recognize him because we have the spirit and he has, he has educated us and given us insight on to recognize that about our own heart so that we don't act that way. So that now we look at other people and esteem them higher than ourselves. That we look at other people and we, we see the gold in them. We see the, the purpose and the callings and the giftings and the things God has deposited on the inside of them. The, the reason why he created them the giftings that they have on their life, we actually want to get behind and help them fulfill the call of God on their life. Why? Because that ministry of reconciliation is for everyone. And we want people to step into that mandate, the the great commission from the beginning, right? Go multiply, fill the earth. The same thing, go out, fill the earth, go tell people about Jesus, baptizing the name of the Father, the Son, multiply and fill the earth. Be, let Christianity spread, not out of a religious duty, but by the Spirit of God. Because there has been a spread of false religion and false things, and you see the evidence of the fruit of it. But there is a true Holy Spirit, fire of God, purification that goes out and is producing people who truly love God and her, surrendered and love and want to serve Him and want and, and would trade everything for him. It's the pearl of great price. I found this pearl. I'll sell everything so I can have this one thing. I'll give up something I love for something I love more. And that's Jesus. He is the thing we are to love with everything we have in our life. So he's given us this ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation is us making way, building a bridge for people to God. So people have a pathway to get to and to see and to know God and how he loves them. Not only to know him and how he loves them, but also to know who he is, his standards. Because all of us have to make a choice. Nobody gets, okay, well, you don't have to love Jesus this way. Only I do because, you know, I'm really called and saved or whatever. That, that's bullcrap. You come to the Lord and everyone has to answer and say yes to him in those areas of their life. You know, there's there's example of Peter in the Bible following Jesus from afar off. Or, or uh, at, that, at this certain time, he began to follow him at a distance and he wasn't as close anymore because the yes involved some of him dying to self and he didn't want to do it. And so he began to kind of draw away instead of pull in and say god remove the no remove the thing in me that says no to you and put the thing in me that says yes to you crucify the area of my life that challenges me and pulls me away from your purpose and calling and put the thing in me that draw compels me to your purpose and calling for my life Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. We have this responsibility. We have this thing to carry now in our lives and God is watching over us as we do it. He's not ignoring it. He, he didn't change his mind about it. He actually has given us this thing that now he's looking at how we steward it, 
how we are with it, how truly sold out and passionate we are for it. Like it's not just a backpack we carry around, but it actually is something that is that is the thing in our life. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as through God we're pleading through us, as though God were pleading through us. Hear that? That's incredible. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. God's actually using people as his voice to plead to those who are perishing, those who are lost. Be reconciled to God. He's your father. He's your creator. He's the one who loves you. He's the one that gave everything for you. He's he's pleading through us as we surrender to say, you must know. You must know him. He's good. He's awesome. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. He forgives you. Come to him. Repent. Give your life to him. We're pleading with you. But not only that, God is doing it through us. He's using us. We're being used by him to plead with mankind, to be reconciled to him. For he hath made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen. That's such a powerful uh, scripture, and there's so much there, and I I could probably go on and on over this, but I'm going to move on. I I really think it's incredible that um, our life is an example, right? Uh, How we live it, how we talk about God, how we portray how we model this thing called Christianity for other people is that ministry of reconciliation. What does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus, right? Not just a leader, not just somebody who, and for those of us that are in ministry, uh, who's in ministry, I'm in ministry. No, we're all in ministry. The people who uh, don't stand in a pulpit, don't have an office or or, uh, a church building, people who are... um, Doctors, lawyers, uh, carpenters, uh, plumbers, uh, teachers, any, any job that you can imagine. If you're a Christian, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Tent maker, right? Um, farmer. Uh, somebody who cleans toilets. It doesn't matter how you make your money or your living. Whatever your source is. Because God is your source. Your job is your means. You might have uh, people that pay you to be in ministry, or you might not have. It doesn't matter. God is your source of supply. He is your provider. Your means may change. Your means may come from supernatural sources, or it may come by the sweat of your brow. Either way, You have a ministry of reconciliation. You've been commissioned by God as a Christian to be in ministry. You don't have to go through ceremonies. You don't have to have all these people, uh, you know, even Paul. He didn't have the whole crowd surrounding him and go to some ordination ceremony and have people say, oh, yes, you are. You are chosen of God like we are. Now, welcome to the club. No, he said, I am an apostle chosen by God. And the fruit of his life, we read it in this Bible. And God showed up and proved who Paul was by the evidence of his ministry, by the fruit of his ministry. It wasn't because a bunch of other people 
like Pharisees and Sadducees, deemed him worthy. And we don't need that in our life. We need accountability. We need people that we can uh, lean on and invite into our life. And that's not to condemn uh, any of the denominations, people that have these systems to to protect the flock and to keep people uh, maybe that are funky and aren't right in, in ministry, uh, in their organization. But it doesn't mean that you have to have it to do ministry. God will use you. God will use a prisoner in prison if he surrenders his life to Jesus. God will use the guy who killed somebody uh, last week and ended up in jail. And if he repents and gives his life to Jesus, God will pour out his spirit through that person and use him mightily for the kingdom of God and forgive him and love him. So that's the dynamic of the power of the cross, the power of who Jesus is, and the power of the ministry of reconciliation. You don't have to be perfect to be used by God. You just have to be willing and obedient. So this next kind of topic I wanted to go into was the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, God has given us the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I want to go into that in Acts 19 real quick, and then I'm going to finish. I think I've kind of gone a a long time here, but Acts 19. So Acts 19 verse 1 says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they, they answered him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So here you go back to where we started kind of in the beginning of the message was Paul's going and he's noticing, oh, look at these guys. Uh, There's something different about them. And we can equate that today. Oh, look at these Christians, right? Like, I think Paul, if he were to come and be around some Christians today, he'd probably go, "Um, hmm, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And then they'd probably go, well, oh, we didn't even know. We don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. Because a lot of people don't teach about the Holy Spirit. They don't teach and go in. And some of them don't even believe that, you know, he he really exists or even works today. Which is unfortunate for them. Because here it is right in the Bible. <clears throat> he said, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And then Paul said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, well, we were baptized into John's baptism. So there you go right there, right? So he said, well, what, what were you baptized John's baptism. Oh, well, John's baptism was repentance. John's baptism was like, you know, nowadays we have a whole movement called the Baptist Church, and that's where they got stuck. They got stuck on repentance and just coming to Jesus and giving their life to Jesus, but then the fullness of of the Holy Spirit, they don't believe in, which is unfortunate. And then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So now Paul's unlocking, breaking barriers, religious mindsets, and now here they are receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How did that happen? And then when Paul had laid hands on them, so we see a transference of the Spirit of God by the laying on of hands. The Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. 
So here we go. Two evidences of the baptism of the, of the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues and prophesying. And the, the number of men were about 12. So here you see these men and Paul recognizing, hey, you guys are missing something here. And so what were you about? Oh, you okay, so you understand the repentance, but hey, there's this whole other unlocking of your life and ministry in Christianity of being baptized with the Holy Spirit, of allowing the Holy Spirit to have that place in your life, to have the dominion in your life that he needs in your mind, on the inside of you, so that he can actually move and live and move through you. And I think it's cool how you see Paul lay hands and then there's a transference of the power of God and they are baptized in the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak in tongues and prophesy. Now they have the gift. They have the ministry of reconciliation right off the bat. They have the power. They have what they need. But for, and this is where we'll, I'll, I'll go into next time when I start talking about maybe the gifts of the Spirit. But I also want to talk about how the Spirit begins to work and prepare us in, con in consecration and how He's working in our life uh, to make us more like Jesus. Because now these these guys aren't just being used by God, but now that he, God is going to begin to work in them and in, in, in their lives to make them more like Jesus. Not like John, but like Jesus. So I'm going to stop there and we will, I'll, I'll try to do this next week uh, at the same time and we'll, we'll go into more stuff. But I, I just wanted to share that. So God, I thank you that you bless this word. I thank you, God, that whoever has listened, whoever has ears, let them hear. And God, that their heart would be open, that their hunger and their thirst and their passion for you would grow, that they would have a desire to not only know you, but to be used by you. God, that they would pick up that responsibility of, of the ministry of reconciliation, that they would go and exercise and put it to work, God, that they would go out and tell others that Jesus is alive, that they would begin to recognize where even other maybe Christians that maybe don't aren't walking in the fullness and they would go and they would speak life and, and, and encourage them to receive that awesome, amazing person and gift of the Holy Spirit in their life so that they would have this dunamis, this amazing power that you supply for us to live on this earth before we meet you in heaven. Amen.